you'll turn with me to page 8 in your bulletin or your Bibles, we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. I'll be reading from two excerpts and walk us through the entire passage today. Ruth chapter 1, I'll be reading from verses 8 through 17. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Now I'm going to turn to the end of the book, in chapter 4, and read verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And this is God's word. If you're new or you're visiting, we've been looking at the mothers of Jesus. And what that means is we've been looking at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, looking at some of the peculiar names that exist in the genealogy. And, uh, you know, we do this during the season of Advent. The Advent season is designed for us to anticipate the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus. It's why we really celebrate Christmas each year. And so today we're going to look at the Ruth narrative, the story of Ruth. And we're going to look at, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an overview of the entire narrative. And then we're going to draw four or five, depending on the time, four or five quick lessons that we can draw from this. So the story of Ruth begins with Naomi. It begins with Naomi's loss. And as a result of her loss, there's tremendous emptiness and bitterness. Naomi, you see, was an Israelite. And she's an Israelite that immigrated A lot of us are familiar with the process, right? She immigrated to Moab with her husband during a time of famine. Now, Moab was a neighboring nation, but Moab was also an enemy of God's people, an enemy to Israel. And there in Moab, Naomi raised two sons, and those two sons married Moabite women, interracial uh, relationship, right? But then disaster struck. First, Naomi lost her husband, Then she lost both sons, 
And as a result, she's just completely broken. She's destitute. She's socially broken. She's economically, financially broken. Now, remember, this is ancient times. And so widows, during those times, they had no rights. Women, by that matter, had no rights. So women had no rights. They were probably the most socially and economically or financially at risk because, you see, family in the ancient times was valued above all things. Having a robust family was the most valued thing within the social structure of those times. Everything revolved around having a family. But Naomi lost her husband, and she lost both of her sons. And she's older, so she's got no parents to return to. And because she's older, she's got no prospects to, which building, uh, to building a new family. And because she's got no adult children or sons to support her, she's destitute. She's broken She's empty, and she's bitter. And so Naomi is preparing to go back to her homeland, to Bethlehem in Israel. And this passage you see that we just read does this very sad play on her name. Because as she returns back to Israel, people recall and they say, is that Naomi? Naomi, the word means sweet. Is that Naomi? And she responds, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Mara means sour. In other words, I was Naomi at one point. I was sweet. My life was sweet. I had a husband. I had a robust family. I had sons. I had a life. But now I'm back, and I'm back bitter, and I'm back old and empty and destitute. Call me Mara. And so before she goes, Naomi, she tells her two daughters-in-law, she says, go back home because you're younger. Go back home. You guys are young widows, your prospects, so stay among your people. Have a chance at building, you're still young enough to get married again. Have a chance to building another family. Here in, in Israel, you're just widows, you're foreigners, you have no chance at any type of success. In fact, you, because you're an enemy, you come from an enemy of Israel, you could suffer racial hate. You could get hurt, you could be killed. So Naomi says, go back. Go back. Chapter 1, verse 8. May the Lord deal kindly. That word in Hebrew is chesed, kindly. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have to me. I've experienced chesed from you. May the Lord now deal with you in the same manner. But what does Ruth say? Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. In other words, what Ruth is saying is, I am binding myself to you in such a way that whatever happens to you, happens to you. Your risk is my risk. It's powerful. Now think about this. Every act of immigration is drastic. Every act of immigration is drastic. Immigrants, they have to leave behind everything that's familiar, everything that is customary, everything that they're used to, their comforts and their joys, but they always leave for a better life, the hope of a better life. But Ruth, she leaves everything that is familiar. She leaves everything that is comfortable, knowing that this is going to be a worse life her because of her love for her mother-in-law that love the hebrew word he said it's a complete love an unfailing love and it's a pledge it's a pledge of love and loyalty that extends beyond all circumstances beyond all measure it is unmerited undeserved 
And so, you know, the NIV translates it to kindness, but it's much deeper than that because it's a very particular word that the Bible primarily attributes to the kind of love that only God can show and demonstrate explicitly to his people. An unfailing, unmerited, daring love. That's what's demonstrated here by Ruth. That's what Ruth is demonstrating. And in chapter 2, what she does is she goes to work. Here's a woman in the ancient times is now going to work. And what she does is she gleans the fields. That, what that means is in the agrarian culture, as the harvesters are picking up the grain, they leave some portions behind. And so if you were poor or destitute, what you do is you glean these fields secretly, privately, right? Because you could get caught and then you could get hurt. You could get killed. You're trespassing. So you glean these fields and you're picking up whatever's left. You're picking up the scraps, the pieces. That's what's going to feed you. And so Ruth is going to work. And she happens upon a person's field named Boaz. And Boaz hears about Ruth. She hears who Ruth is and how, she's, how loving and supportive she is to her mother-in-law. And he's amazed by that love. He's amazed by what she's willing to do for an Israelite mother-in-law. And Ruth, he shows tremendous kindness to her. It's the same word, he said, shows up. Shows tremendous kindness. And Ruth is amazed by that kindness. And Naomi, in chapter 2, verse 20, which we didn't read, Naomi says, Boaz has not stopped showing this said kindness again. More than anything we deserve. And Naomi realizes Boaz is actually one of the very few people who could be called a kinsman redeemer. Now, what is that? A kinsman redeemer. In Israelite law, a kinsman redeemer is a relative of yourself who can take on the duty to restore any rights that you have lost for the sake of the family. You see, when the Hebrews entered into uh, Israel, uh, they were given plots of land, these ancestral plots of land. They were, it, the land was literally given to them. But, you see, they could lose it. Or if they're in extreme poverty, they mortgage it, and they would lose their land. But a kinsman redeemer a relative who had this power and authority. They had the right to buy back that ancestral land that the family lost. And so if he is willing, he could buy it back for his family. He could buy it back for Naomi because Naomi gave up the land. But you couldn't just buy it back from the kinsman redeemer. You had to marry into him. He would have to marry you. And that means Boaz would have to marry Ruth this widower, already married, from a despised race, an outcast. And Naomi says, he could do that, but why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he sacrifice his reputation? Why would he sacrifice his honor for us? Because, you see, there was another suitor, and the suitor, after assessing the circumstance, says, I can't. I can't sacrifice my reputation. I can't sacrifice my estate. It would ruin my life. In chapter 3, Ruth, in the nighttime, lays at the feet of Boaz, and she asks him to marry her. Very bold, even for today. Very bold, atypical. Whether you're a modern person or a traditional person, Ruth does not fit into any category of modern or traditional. She's beautiful on one hand and incredibly womanly, and yet she's courageous and assertive. Incredible picture of true biblical femininity. But really, it's a picture of biblical humility for anybody. Anybody. 
It's a picture of biblical boldness for anybody. And Boaz, upon hearing this, takes up on the offer. And through a series of acts, restores the line of Naomi, marries Ruth, and as a result, Ruth and Naomi are now joined into the line of Judah, which is the line of David, and becomes eventually a mother of Jesus. Jesus Christ is born through this Moabite outcast who is destitute. It's an amazing story. That's an amazing narrative. What do we learn from him? We're going to learn a few things. Number one, the gospel transcends race, ethnicity, geography, socioeconomic uh, well-being, your status, gender. This is the ancient times. Ruth is a Moabite woman, but she gets to become a mother of Jesus. She's an enemy of God's people, and yet she becomes a mother of Jesus, a mother of Jesus. She, that's gender, gospel transcends gender. She's the worker. She's the laborer. She's the one that, that through her, all these great, uh, this great narrative unfolds. But she cares for Naomi, who is a Jew, an enemy, technically. That's racial boundaries. She goes back to Israel and calls Israel home. That's geographic boundaries. This is the younger woman taking care of the older woman. And in Ruth's case, that's, by the way, that's age boundaries, right? In Ruth's case, she's saying, I'm risking my life. I'm risking my marriage prospects. I'm risking any chance of having any other children, any chance of any recovery for me. She's crossing life boundaries. That, that need for a relationship, that need for love, she's sacrificing all. She's living a big life because she's giving up what she thinks is a big life. Do you see that? And here's Ruth. In a traditional society, she's a nobody. She's an outcast. And yet, she goes against traditional society. She subverts it. Naomi's trying to send Ruth back to her family because the traditional focus back then is family. You need to get married again. You need to have a big family, have children. But Ruth chooses to leave her mother, chooses to leave her father, chooses to leave her home completely against the world's values. This is an amazing story. But because she experiences Naomi's love, she works and labors and toils for her. She sacrifices and suffers and risks for her. The younger woman that is an outcast is the hero of the story in this story. The younger woman is the outcast who is the hero. The younger foreigner who is a woman, an enemy, is an outcast who is poor is the hero of the story. In a traditional story, in a traditional uh, society, there was no such thing as interracial marriages. And yet Ruth and Boaz, interracial marriage, spliced into the genealogy of Christ. Salvation happens through this interracial marriage. Salvation is born and comes through Ruth. What is God saying? I don't care what the world values. My values are completely upside down. Look at Boaz. Boaz crosses ethnic boundaries, social boundaries, economic boundaries for Ruth. He's probably thinking to himself, I probably shouldn't care for her, and yet I do. I probably shouldn't love her, and yet I do. He's crossing cultural boundaries, risking the respect of his peers, his workers, his own livelihood. It's a dangerous society back then. And he says, I'm willing to do that to care for you. So Ruth saves Naomi's life. Boaz saves Ruth's life. Naomi desires to save Ruth's life. Go, go back home, she says. What does this tell you? There is no boundary that God is not willing to cross to save his people. 
God will go every distance, cross every boundary for his people. That means you are never alone. You are never alone. That's the first thing we learn. Number two, we learn about the life-transforming power of real friendships. Here's Naomi, says to Ruth, go back to your gods. May the Lord show kindness, he said to you. May the Lord show kindness the way you have to me. And Ruth, she's thinking about this. She's considering this, and she says, may the Lord deal with me. May the Lord deal with me if anything but death separates us. The word she uses for Lord there is a very special word because there are many ways to refer to God in the Old Testament. You can call him Adonai, El Shaddai. There are a lot of things you can call God. Elohim. And yet, she uses a very special word that was only reserved for people who have a saving faith in the Lord. She call, it's, it's usually capitalized. The word Lord is capitalized in your Bibles. Yahweh. She calls, on, she calls God the Lord for herself. And so what she's doing, she's listening to Naomi's sacrifice. Go home. She knows what that means for Naomi. If she leaves Naomi, Naomi dies. And yet Naomi says, go. It's okay, go. I want to care for you. My love is deep for you. May the Lord show kindness to you the way you've shown to me. And there she says, at that moment, this is the Lord. This is my Lord. At this moment, I convert. I want your God. I want to know your God. Naomi is lost. Naomi is broken. But she still desires, in that broken state, she still desires God's unfailing kindness for Ruth. She says, my life is bitter. There's a curse that has fallen on me. And yet, may God show you unfailing kindness. And so Ruth, upon hearing this, she gets it. She says, I want that God. I want your God. There's something about Naomi's God that is so attractive, she can't let it go. And in the context of Naomi's suffering, that's where Naomi's faith becomes credible to her. And so Ruth is saying this. She's thinking, your God teaches you to put my needs ahead of your needs? I want that. What kind of God teaches that? Your God teaches you to place the advancement of other people before their own? I want to know that kind of God. Ruth knows that if she leaves Naomi, Naomi's done. Naomi dies, and that gets her. Dr. Timothy Keller, my favorite preacher, he says this. He says, the most transforming facilitator of an encounter with God is the unconditional love of true friendship. The most transforming facilitator of an encounter with God is the unconditional love of a true friendship. A true friend considers your comfort before their own. A true friend considers your thriving above their own. He said, unfailing, unconditional, unmerited, undeserved grace that changes and shapes your life. In your daily suffering, sometimes you are called to be Ruth. And in other times, you need a Ruth. Plug into a community that desires to practice gospel friendship, not just social friendship. A lot of people use the church to help with their own loneliness. You see, true friendship is a renewing, life-transforming entity 
that places the needs of others before their own. Practice it. Know it. Experience it. Number three, you never lose hope. You never give up on anyone. There are signs of hope in every person's life, no matter where they are, no matter what state they're in. Look at this. There's nothing about Ruth's narrative here that's so special. There's no miracles in this book. It's actually rather a pretty unsexy book. It's not a very sexy book, right? There are no miracles. There are no dreams. There's no person directly contacting God and God speaking to that person. In fact, God is hardly mentioned, right? Uh, There's no dramatic triumph. What do you see in this book, chapter after chapter? Just suffering, the everyday, the mundane, labor, striving, struggling, poverty, and yet God is still at work in the lives of these people. Underneath the veil of suffering and poverty and loss and the mundaneness of life, underneath that brokenness, God is at work. Naomi comes back in chapter 1 and says, I am empty. Call me Mara. But yet, right next to her is Ruth. Ruth gives her life. Ruth is her treasure. It's going to change her life. She just doesn't see it at the moment. We often say, you know, how can a God with infinite power allow so much suffering in the world? We often say that. So either A, we conclude he must not exist, or he must not be good. That's what we conclude. So let me get this straight. If you can't see any good reason for your suffering, then no good reason must exist? Is that a wise thing to consider? Is that a wise thing to believe? I can't think of a reason for this suffering, so a good reason must not exist. Is that wise? Is that even logical? Is that even intelligent? It just happened that Naomi's husband died. It just happened that Naomi's sons died. It just happened that Ruth, as a result, had to come over uh, to Israel just happened that she was gleaning Boaz's field. Just happened to be that Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. That Boaz is the one person that can save the entire family. It just happened to be that Boaz sees Ruth. It just happens that Boaz is an ancestor in the lineage of Jesus. Is that all chance? Naomi didn't see it. What about you? You see it in your life? Do you see it? Every weakness, every brokenness, every family situation, every lost opportunity, every broken circumstance, one day you're going to look back in awe at the great love and wisdom of God that knitted all this brokenness and family situations, lost opportunities, and weaknesses and sin. He knits all that together, interwoven together for his glory and for your good. That's what you're going to see, that there is nothing that God cannot work in to bring about his plan of redemption for his people. So don't just plug into your story, because if you just plug into your story, that breeds self-absorption. That's a recipe for self-absorption. You've got to plug into the greater story. God's greater narrative, and one day all the sorrow and all the loss and the sin and the bitterness will be subsumed by the joy of the greater story. And then you will never be able to say, my God has abandoned me. Naomi cries out, I'm cursed and, and bitter. 
and yet there are signs of hope in Ruth that she doesn't see. What are your signs? What are your signs of hope? Fourthly, you got to embrace the pattern of God's wisdom and grace and power in your brokenness. You got to embrace the pattern of how God works in your brokenness. See, in chapter one, we read that Naomi is bitter. Naomi is broken. But in chapter four, Ruth bears a son. So she goes from, I'm empty, to now she has land, she has been redeemed, she has a son. And they say to her about Ruth in chapter four, Ruth is better to you than seven sons. Seven is the number of completion. Seven means perfection. Seven means eternity. Seven means infinity. In other words, what they're saying to Naomi, seeing how blessed she is, seeing all that she's received by grace, unmerited, undeserved, they look at her and they say, Naomi, you've lost two sons. Ruth is better than an infinite number of sons for you. And God blessed Naomi because what? Was Naomi worshiping God during this time? Was Naomi seeking God during this time? Was Naomi sitting there and praying day and night to God? Do you see that in this passage? No, no. Naomi's lost and confused. She says, I'm cursed. God's abandoned me. That's what she says. She's not looking for God, seeking God, worshiping God, thanking God, praising God. She's not doing any of these things. She says, I'm suffering humiliation and loss. And yet God, this is the pattern. This is the key. This is the pattern of how God works. And that's why you should never try to avert suffering. If it's happening, process it. And you've got to process it with the wisdom of God. If suffering, we don't look for suffering. That would be unintelligent, right? But if suffering happens and life is filled with suffering. It will happen. What happens here? This is the pattern of God's grace and how he works. Not despite your suffering, but through the suffering. If it wasn't for the suffering of Naomi, if it wasn't for the suffering of Ruth and the risks and the dangers and the sacrifices of Ruth, there's no Boaz, there's no lineage, there's no Jesus. You see that? God is working through the suffering. Not despite the, the suffering and the humiliation and loss, but through the suffering and humiliation and loss. In chapter 1, Naomi says, I've got no more prospects. I have no more sons. I'm done. I'm done. In chapter 4, she has Ruth. Better than seven sons. What they're saying is, Naomi, your life is complete. You've been redeemed, not despite the brokenness. It's not like, Naomi, you've overcome all the odds. What they're saying is, Naomi, God has worked through the brokenness to bring a greater redemption than you could have fashioned on your own if your sons had not died and you've been living in Moab and just kind of living a quiet life. You see that? That's a big life. That's a huge life. Redemption has come through brokenness, through all the suffering. Because Ruth's story is etched into the narrative of Jesus. And because her story is etched into the narrative of Jesus, what do we learn? The ultimate story of suffering, the ultimate story of sacrifice and humiliation is lost, is found in Jesus. And we see that from the moment of his birth. He was born in a manger. So right from the beginning you know that this king is born in suffering and humiliation and loss and brokenness. This king is born in foreignness and outcastness. 
This king is born in the danger. This king is born in the suffering and the risk. You see that? And yet it brings about ultimate redemption. Christmas, when we're studying the mothers of Jesus, Christmas is really about God's continuity, everything that's happened in the Old Testament, to set the pattern of, of how he works and administers his grace. And he uses Jesus' birth and suffering and humiliation and sacrifice all the way up to the cross into his death to bring about the ultimate redemption through the death, through the suffering. God came down and died. Every other religion has God coming down to rule on a throne, to demonstrate power overtly and explicitly. And yet this is a God that came down even lower unto death. Look at the love of Jesus. Look at the love of God and the grace of God. Etched into the story of Ruth, pointing to the story of Jesus, the ultimate redemption. And God didn't do it despite Jesus' suffering. God did it through Jesus' suffering. And if God can bring about ultimate salvation and redemption through the death and humiliation of Jesus, surely he could do tremendous work through your suffering and through humiliation and through any rejection and outcastness and hurt and brokenness and sin. God worked through a nobody, an outcast, a foreigner, one who had no rights, who was poor, a refugee, a widower in Ruth. Naomi is, is broken and weeping and suffering and lonely. She's just totally torn apart from the loss. What does that tell you? Suffering is oftentimes the context, almost a prerequisite for the ultimate renewal that we can experience in Christ. And that ultimate renewal brings an un a greater joy than you could ever experience if you see Jesus Christ, the son of Ruth, as your completion and your hope. God used the brokenness of Naomi and Ruth to bring about a greater joy that has shaped them, changed their lives, and preserved God's promise. Look at the patternistic wisdom of God. Look at the patternistic love of God. Look at the patternistic grace of God. Trust his word. Trust him. Trust his promise. Trust his wisdom. Trust his salvation. How? It's the last point. How do you do it? Do you do it by trying harder? Do you do it by just obeying? Do you do it by just, you know what? I think what the pastor's saying here is live sacrificially. So you just pour out. You just live sacrificially. Is that how you experience this? Look at Naomi. She's talking as if the sun had set on her life. When in actuality, there's a new life. She just didn't see it. And how did she get it? Did she get it by working hard? No, because she couldn't work. Did she get it because she was so beautiful and attractive? No, because she was old and destitute. Did she get it even because she trusted God so much? Naomi is in despair. She wasn't looking for God, trusting God, worshiping God, and yet God blessed her with the presence of, of his life. God blessed her with his presence through a true friend in Ruth. Ruth says, I will never leave you. 
She's echoing through eternity a God that is faithful, saying, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he never did, and he never has, not for his people. What does that tell you? It's not about your credentials. It's not about your degrees. It's not about your family. It's not about your status. It's not about your, your, uh, your pursuits. It's not even about your own goodness. It's not even about your faith and how big it is. It's about the amazing grip of God's grace that never lets go. You've got to plug into that greater story, a story that's even greater than Ruth, because Ruth, her story points to one that comes from her. Ruth bears a son, and that son bears a son, and that son bears David. And David is the line of Christ. Christ is born from the line of David. Jesus is born there. Ruth left her father's house. Ruth left her family. Ruth left what could have been. Ruth left her country, her comforts. She came down, became an outsider, became a foreigner, and risk, at the risk of her life, she became a sufferer, a servant, undignified, unhuman, unhumanly, certainly unwomanly in those days, rejected and despised. Ah, but you see, Ruth is setting the pattern for her descendant because remember, Ruth saw an act of sacrificial love that shaped her life, that she couldn't explain or account for through Naomi. And if Naomi's active love made Ruth actively love somebody else, how much more would the sight of he left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Jesus Christ left the Father's house. Jesus Christ left his family. Jesus Christ left his country, his home, and he came down. He, John chapter 1 says he came to that which was his own, and yet his own did not receive him. What does that mean? Ruth is an outcast, a foreigner, came at the risk of violence, and yet Jesus Christ became an outcast, a foreigner from birth, and he came at the certainty of death. Jesus Christ was a refugee. Jesus Christ endured poverty. Jesus Christ was, took on our brokenness, and he became the true picture, a human embodiment of God's unfailing love. He said, totally unmerited love and loyalty extending beyond all circumstances, all measure. Naomi says, my God has dealt bitterly with me, devastated me, abandoned me. But really, God was so present. You see that? God is so present in Naomi's life. She just couldn't see it at the time. She says, God, God has smitten me. And yet, there's Ruth on the cross. Jesus Christ says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, what he's saying is, I was abandoned. I was forsaken. My father, it's not just I came down and left the father, so my father has left me. My God has really dealt bitterly with me. He has poured out his wrath for the sins and the penalties of others. And he has smited me and devastated me and abandoned me. My life is truly bitter. And he's saying, now my life is truly empty. I'm truly cursed. And he did it for me. He did it for you. And yet, God used that brokenness, that death, to bind us together forever in him. When you see what Jesus Christ did for us, you are experiencing and beholding the beauty of the ultimate Naomi 
the ultimate Ruth, the ultimate Boaz. Naomi is sweet and became bitter. But really, her life is sweet. God's presence was in her life all through. Jesus Christ is the ultimate Naomi who became bitter, truly, so that we, our lives, could become sweet again. And when that happens, you can become a Ruth to other people. You can actively love beyond your circumstances for other people. You can hope and never give up in people. You can become a true friend. You can transcend racial boundaries and social boundaries and financial boundaries, your pedigree boundaries, your cultural boundaries. Look to the beauty of Jesus during this Christmas season. We have an even greater Ruth in Jesus. And God worked through ultimate brokenness to bring about our ultimate sweetness and joy in him. Look to Jesus. Be shaped by the love of God. Be shaped by the wisdom of God. Will you pray with me? Let's pray.